the lesson learned here as a designer is like, I put my heart and soul into getting the best iconic design for this product. But the reality is what probably you don't see when this thing's winning the design awards is how much we've done to look at the infrastructure to make this product successful, what the business model looks like. And we had to adapt and we had to pivot. So the evolution of design went from product to total brand experience uh, here. And I, I want to go further. I want to get into VR. I want to get into web, web design. I mean, I, like there's so many touch points on a brand now that design is not a function, it's a mindset. And this is what I tell is even though we have a design team, everybody in the company should think like a designer. There's something you can improve. Welcome to Design Drives, your audio experience about what, how, and why design drives things forward. A podcast hosted by Sebastian Gear, together with forward-thinking design practitioners from around the world. In this episode, I talk with Michael Zoyum, who is a VP of design at Grow, a company many of you know for their premium bathroom experiences. We talk about the difference between a great designer and a great design leader, based on Michael's personal experience. He went into in-house experience at Whirlpool, P&G and Cola in the US and Italy, to consulting and startup experiences at Lunatic and Minimal. You will hear the name Scott quite often, by which we mean Scott Wilson, a mutual friend from Chicago and award-winning industry designer who founded Minimal. After this diverse set of experiences, he made his move into design leadership roles, like Pepsi and now Grower. A big portion of this talk we spent on how to grow design within a company as a design leader, enlarging your footprint and impact of the design studio and gaining new capabilities beyond product and industrial design. And also how to shape design cultures as a design leader. Hi Michael, how are you doing? Good, good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I look forward to talk to you. I think it would be great for the audience if you could give them a bit of context about your journey, but then also about your current role as a VP of design at Grow. Yeah, it's a bit of a long story, but I think the, the short version is um, it always pays to have a good network um, as you build your career in design. Uh, so I got a call through a, through a friend, a mutual design friend who said uh, uh, the former VP uh, design here, Paul Flowers, was looking to uh, uh, move on or move up in the organization. So they had just been acquired by a Japanese company. So our parent company is Lixel. And he said, uh, I thought you would be a great fit for, for the role. And I said, well, I know, I know of Paul. I've never met him personally. I've, I've uh, heard of him. I, I know he's done tremendous work. And like all things, I've never really turned down a chance to discuss an opportunity. So Mm-hmm. Uh, what started what started as a long shot I mean I'll be really honest Paul and I had a, an amazing conversation we just like had this synergistic view on design mm-hmm. and he just said he just said Michael I'm going to be honest with you you're going to have a really hard time justifying somebody like you your background because uh, an American designer coming into a German company uh, this might be this might prove to be difficult and I said you know Paul I said I respect the work that you've done I said you know I, I'm pretty pretty confident that this is a, an interesting opportunity and I would welcome the chance to to come in and interview. And I always felt like that was the, the door opener just to say, well, 
I understand your hesitations. If it's just cultural, let me see if I can break down that, that barrier. Uh, and so that's, that's a little bit of what, what happened. I think the, um, the conversation really started to take off when I met with the CEO of Groa. Um, and we just had a, a very symbiotic conversation. Um, mm-hmm. I asked, I asked some questions around what's important to me with design. He asked a lot of, uh, questions in terms of, uh, how I viewed brands and what I can do to use design to build the, the, the brand. So we had, we had like this really enjoyable conversation. This was after like a long flight. I landed and went straight into the, mm-hmm. to the interview. Um, so it was really energizing for me after, uh, coming from, from Chicago, um, the irony was, is I had just taken another job. So I was literally interviewing for this job after being in, in, a, in another role for like less than six months. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I, but I think we can dive into that a little bit later because I just had a feeling this was a huge opportunity for me and uh, couldn't, couldn't help but turn it down. But, uh, mm-hmm. I'm so glad I'm here, actually. Yeah. What was your opportunity or your, your role before that you just mentioned? So I, I had just taken a job as a design director uh, for sports and nutrition at PepsiCo. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was tasked with building design capability um, outside of uh, PepsiCo has a very large team. I don't know what the numbers are now, but uh, I was part of a, a small three to four person team that came into to Chicago. And uh, to be honest, my first day, I, they, you know, I came in, I stood at the reception. They didn't know who I was. They didn't have a, an office for me. I didn't have a computer, didn't have a desk. I mean, it was literally starting from scratch. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the infrastructure just wasn't, wasn't there for, for design. Uh, and don't get me wrong. I think what Mar- Mauro Porcini's done with Pepsi is incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was one, this was one of the first tasks to, to, to really do. And I felt like at times I was tin cupping for funding and money. And so I didn't really have the, the studio structure around me that, uh, would enable design results in a very quick way. So it required a lot of patience. And if there's one thing that I don't have as a weakness is patience. Um, I, I like to move quickly. Um, and, uh, It just seemed operationally this was a better fit for me uh, from, a, from a studio structure and from, a, from an organizational structure. I had a direct line to the CEO. I report to the CEO. I mean, it just, it was a completely different scenario. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, and there was nothing wrong with what, uh, what was happening at Pepsi. They were just on a different level of the design journey, I think, that, uh, that some leaders have to encounter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Let's, let's be honest, I didn't have, it probably didn't have as much passion for the products either. I mean, I was working in sports and nutrition, so it was an area that I, I like. Uh, but I think uh, the CPG world is just not for me. I've experienced this at a couple of different points in my, my career. I'm much more of a product and, and uh, connected experience uh, type of, uh, of designer. So packaging and uh, this, this type of thing, I've done it a couple of times to, to see if it was right, but I didn't, uh, I didn't find it as enjoyable as, as what I'm doing now with, uh, with, with some of the products I grew up. Mm-hmm. Totally can understand. And that was after your time at Minimal, right? With, with Scott. Yeah. So my time at Minimal was, uh, was phenomenal. And to go back a little bit in my career journey, um, You know, and this is, I think this is advice for any, any type of designer. I mean, some of the best advice that I got was to experience as many different things as you can early in your career before you become a design leader. Yeah. 
And, and so we can talk a little bit about my journey, but that one missing box for me uh, before I took on like true leadership roles was um, really kind of startup and consultancy. And when you look at the work that Scott's, Scott's done in the design profession, you know, Scott's a serial entrepreneur. He comes from a corporate background of, of leading design at Nike. You know, he's, he's done Motorola. So he had a lot of the skill sets and he transitioned into consultancy from, uh, from that and then, and then did the startup culture. And uh, I had an amazing time. And uh, I think uh, with Scott, um, I, I will see him in a, a couple of days when I, when I head home. Okay. So we'll, uh, we'll, con- we'll connect back. Uh, I think it was a little sad for me to, to go, but I, I needed to grow. And I think uh, this is a normal trajectory of, of, of any designer. Um, I came in to minimal focused solely on lunatic. So what he wanted from my skill set was a little bit of the operational side of it because he's, he likes to be in that really creative vision process, but he doesn't, he doesn't necessarily, I mean, I think you know this as well. He doesn't necessarily yeah. want to follow the whole, the whole process through. And he gave me a lot of um, uh, authority to lead the design work, work with the minimal team. But I was building, I mean, I was covering everything from building the website to packaging to sales presentation. And what this taught me uh, was the role of design as an entrepreneur. And I think it's so powerful what designers can do today. I have a couple designers in my studio now that are running a Kickstarter campaign. Mm. And... And I think this is this is this is like the the new era for designers. Like design is really really empowering as a as a mindset as a business model, and there's so many possibilities. And Scott was a was I don't say was Scott is a pioneer in, in this aspect. He's so obsessive with starting his own, incubating his own brands, um, and. And that, that goes into also helping his clients who come in as, as consulting projects. So I see it as a, as a real nice um, skill set builder for, for myself, but also for um, minimal as an agency. Mm-hmm. So, and I spent a total of uh, four years with, with Scott and two of them were on, uh, about two and a half were on uh, Lunatic as a, as a brand. But the other, the other part of it was I moved into a design director role and I got a little bit burned out on the, the startup uh, side of things. So I just saw an opportunity to transition. I was in the same building working with the same team and it allowed me to bring in some of my network and clients and I, I helped bring in some uh, portfolio projects that uh, I also got to work on and got to design. So it, it allowed me in this environment of working at minimal to, to, to lead a business, but also to strategically consult. Uh, and I think this is a really special career. So I, I think the takeaway is it doesn't matter when you do consulting as a, as a designer. Mm-hmm. Just, just get it under your belt because I think it's super, super important to, uh, to do it. But find, find a consultant that has a unique point of view. Uh, and Scott, I think, is one of the, the best at, uh, at this uh, more entrepreneurial aspect of design. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think having these various perspectives on design, you know, corporate perspective, consulting, startup, I think is super important and beneficial as a designer. And I also think it's something I noticed with Scott that he's you know, benefiting from that a lot you know having these various experiences but yeah going back to your journey were you at lunatic the startup during the early days when you were starting out or was it already on its way when you joined them so so i had i had been uh, 
Prior to joining um, Minimal and Lunatic, um, I had been working in Italy for five years uh, with Whirlpool. And uh, I had been talking to Scott for on and off about eight months. Mm-hmm. So every time I would every time I would leave Italy, I'd fly into Chicago, and then I would go to our headquarters in Michigan. Um, and it was literally I started talking to Scott right before he flipped on the uh, the first watch campaign on Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was one of the original backers, and I joined him uh, as that campaign was literally uh, finishing. Mm-hmm. So I joined at the very early days, uh, but I didn't have anything to do with that first uh, campaign. But I knew it was happening. I saw the prototypes. I saw everything that was uh, was happening. So uh, it was very, very close to the birth of Lunatic, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, but not not directly from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then how did you get to know um, Scott in the first place then? Uh, I think we, you know, I, I'm I'm born and raised in Chicago, and uh, I had met him uh, even even through school. I think uh, when I was when I was studying at the University of Illinois, I, I had known who he was. He had been around uh, through his days in Motorola, so I think we had some professional interaction just through the the, the networking in Chicago. Um, but I think I put more of uh, I just stuck my neck out. I called him directly and I was like, can I stop by your studio? Can we have a chat? And uh, we met in Milan a couple times. Mm-hmm. So we just we just sort of built up a, a network uh, on uh, just different different parts of it. And I think that's, um, this is also advice that I could pass on is, um, you know, I will, I will gladly have conversations with designers that want to talk to me. Mm-hmm. And it's so rare that you receive a cold call saying, Hey, I've seen what you're doing. I'm interested. And the few that have done it, I mean, I've hired interns that have just stuck their neck out saying, I'm really interested in, in this, uh, this story that's happening. So, uh, I think designers tend to be very introverts yeah. uh, at times and, and they need to stick their neck out a little bit in the business world. And, uh, I'm lucky that I did that with Scott, uh, because he gave me a great opportunity, uh, to, uh, to come into the team. That's very cool. Um, you already mentioned Whirlpool. Can you share a little bit about um, your time there? You mentioned you were there also in, uh, in Italy, but not the whole time, right? I think you also worked uh, in, the, in the States, right? Right. Yeah. I, well, why don't, we, why don't I start a little bit from the beginning yeah. uh, on, my, on my career Absolutely. and then we can, we, can, we can jump around a little bit. Yeah. Um, so so I, graduated, uh, I graduated in 1998 from University of Illinois at Chicago. Uh, there, were, there were only like 10 of us in the graduating class. And uh, it was a really small focus program, no internship uh, uh, formal process or whatnot. But I did a couple inter- internships with a small consultancy. I did a, some exhibition design. Um, and about one year uh, before I graduated, I was down in our model shop. And uh, a professor walked in the door and said, hey, there's a guy on the phone from Kohler uh, Kohler Corporation who needs somebody to design three bathtubs who wants to do it and I was literally close to his door I just raised my hand and I said I'll do it and uh, next thing you know I was sitting in a meeting at the, at the university with the uh, with the senior designer from from Kohler They're, they had a Chicago office at the time and he said have you ever designed a bathtub and I said I have no idea and never 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 even thought about it yeah. I said but he, he was he was in such a jam Uh, that he just needed help. So he dropped off three foam blocks, like Barbie-sized uh, foam blocks. And uh, 
he just handed to me, he's like, I'll come back in a, in, in a couple of days. Show me what you got. <laughs> and, and, and I, and I stood there, I was like, seriously, what the hell am I supposed to do with these? Like, this is, how, this is not how I would design a bathtub. So I just started yeah. hacking away the foam and he came back and he looked at him. He's like, these are horrible. <laughs> and, and it was such a learning for me because I'm like, the brief was garbage. Like what he just like, he was such a panic. So I think, I think we both realized that something wasn't right in the way we interacted on the, the project. And I, I take this lesson with me today. It's like, I can't fly by my team and just say like, design this, like it needs a deeper context. Mm -hmm. It needs a, a purpose, a reason. It needs a whole lot more. And he, I think he felt so bad uh, for the way he handled this, that he offered me an internship out of it. He's like, no, we can, we can fix this out. So I, in my senior year, I worked an entire year, uh, three days a week. I was able to reshuffle my college classes to Tuesday and Thursdays. So I literally went from nine till nine o'clock at night on Tuesdays and Thursdays, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I was working in a corporate office for Kohler. Mm -hmm. as a as an intern so i start ironically where i'm sitting today is exactly where i started my career in the same exact uh, industry <laughs> and uh, i i really enjoyed the the process of of um, these products they're extremely design driven um but uh, because i had this internship they hired me straight after graduation so i never had to to really go on a on an interview mm -hmm. and uh, i was working remotely for for Kohler for about two years and they started to think about converging the, the brands a little bit headquarters the, the headquarters for Chicago were basically shut down they had offered me a job in Wisconsin I had just met my uh, now wife and I said I'm not I'm not interested in moving to Wisconsin I said she was working at Motorola as a as an interaction designer I said we're staying in Chicago um, and then I got a, an interview in Southwest Michigan, okay, I, with Whirlpool. And I said, okay, I'm probably not going to take this job, but I'm going to go do the interview because it's good practice. So I was dead set on staying in Chicago. And uh, I just had this amazing connection with, uh, with the team there. And they said, what's your dream project? And I said, I want to design an espresso machine. And they said, really? They said, because we can give you that project. That could be your first project. And I said, really? You know, this, this could be quite, quite cool. And I said, no, we've got to. So, so I had this, like, uh, this, this funny feeling that I had to go back and tell my, my then girlfriend. I'm like, uh, you remember I said I wanted to stay in Chicago? Well, that's changing. So I, I told her this and she's like, I'm coming with you. And we literally been dating for like three months. She's like, no, no, if, if this is that important to you, I come with. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, luckily, both sides worked out. I had an amazing experience at, at Whirlpool. I took over on the KitchenAid brand. Mm -hmm. um, and, of course, in the course of two and a half years, I launched like uh, 18 products, uh, uh, small appliances, so small domestic appliance, and they just exploded. They drove so much new business that... Uh, it was one part of, uh, of repositioning design of the company. It was just so apparent how successful these, uh, mm -hmm. these products were. Uh, we, we collaborated a little bit with some outside firms because we were really trying to build capabilities. So 
I cut my teeth a little bit with Ziva Design in Portland on mm -hmm. some of the original strategy, but most of the implementation we did um, ourselves. So we were a very small, very small team. And uh, I think uh, when I joined Whirlpool, it was 30, 30 designers across all the brands. There, I think now in Michigan, there are 150 designers, something like this, just in the, the headquarters. So that was, that was good. Um, and over the course of uh, nearly five years there in my design journey, I decided that uh, I needed to try something different. I was getting a little bit of an itch that, okay, small appliances, large appliances, what else can I do? Mm -hmm. uh, so, so I approached the, the VP uh, and I said, if you can move me to Italy, I will stay. But if not, uh, I think I need to, to experience some different things. I've, I've seen everything. And he, he looked at me and he said, you know, with, with all honesty, I would love to move you. I just can't justify it. And I said, well, okay, then I probably will leave. And I don't think he thought it was serious, but I came to him maybe six months later and said, I, I took a job with Procter & Gamble. Mm -hmm. um, and this is at the time where they were building design capabilities. And uh, there I went um, in more of an upstream innovation role. So I had two different parts of the business that I covered because I had a lot of small appliances. I was helping their coffee business unit uh, work on uh, more, more on less on the packaging side, more on the device side. So this is at the time when single serve coffee was really taking off, mm -hmm. and they wanted to explore different different options. So I helped there. I did some work with Procter Gamble on Swiffer, Febreze. So I worked on a lot of their household care brands. Um, it was quite interesting, but I didn't have the same passion for for that part of the, the business. And it could it, it could be that time was uh, maybe design wasn't strategically positioned the way I would have mm -hmm. structured it. Mm -hmm. um, and that could have been part of my my frustration because some of the projects were very, very interesting, but they didn't. Uh, I don't think they were because they had grown so fast with the with the uh, design team that a lot of times they just left designers kind of on these islands to fend for themselves. And I think there's a certain scale that you need to uh, work with design because not all businesses adopt the design mindset the, the same way in a large company mm -hmm. uh, like that. Was design too late involved in the in the process? Depending on part of the business, um, design could be what I would call the last decoration station, um, or you know, uh, or, uh, or or very well, it just it just became a graphic design exercise. You know, how do you grab more attention on an existing bottle? So there there were a lot of uh, a lot of things, but we can we can go back and kind of revisit this. I just finish up the the journey. Yeah. So four, four and a half years exploring my way through the CPG landscape. And then I get, ironically, a call from Whirlpool. Mm -hmm. And they said, you're interested in moving to Italy? And I just kind of laughed. I said, yeah, okay, come on. Are you serious? Because we had this discussion in the past. And I uh, said, no, if you, if you really want this to happen, we'll send you an offer. And literally three months after that call, I got a, a message saying, in your post box is a signed offer for, for Italy. Do you want to take it? I resigned the next day at P&G. <laughs> and uh, uh, within a short amount of time, I was packing for, for Italy. It was just an experience I, I wanted. And, um, you know, the, the, the amazing part about Italy is I, 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 
I got my first taste of international experience, mm -hmm. um, and I think and I think this is absolutely huge. As you know, uh, we live in a much smaller world, right? And, and I think you need to, as a designer, step outside of your comfort zones. And if this means relocating halfway around the world, um, there's no better fuel for me than seeing culture through a different lens. I probably notice things differently mm -hmm. about Italian society that Italians see on a daily basis that they don't even question. And I think I this fueled me and it really, it really kind of brought my, my journey to, uh, to there. So then from Italy, I went, uh, I went to Scott and I think we covered a little bit of that, that, uh, that journey. Mm -hmm. Was it in Milan where, um, you went Italy? Uh, I was nearby, so I was in an area called Varese. So it's uh, in the lakes region. Uh, it's where all of the Milanese, they vacation or they go for long weekends uh, outside of Milan. So about 40 minutes uh, from Milan, mm -hmm. but a very beautiful part of the world. Yeah. yeah, you were just touching on how design was positioned at these various companies. Maybe we can unpack this a little bit, you know, how design was positioned and valued at these various companies? Yeah, well, well, I, I think uh, in some cases, my, my feeling uh, with Procter Gamble, for example, was design was positioned as a service. And um, I, didn't, I didn't really appreciate that. Whereas in my current role, design is a strategic pillar in the company. Um, I report to the CEO, we have an independent uh, uh, function um, I work cross-functionally with the, the marketing team, the head of R&D, uh, myself to develop the roadmap. Mm -hmm. um, I report into the, to the CEO and I'm not positioned within the, the marketing team, for example. So uh, if I compare that to my days at P&G was um, they, they had a very different business structure. You know, they had like something like 18 different brands that were over a billion dollars in sales. To put it in frame of reference, mm -hmm. grows like 1.6 or 1.7 billion in size in total. So, like we right now, I'm managing a team that's like one brand of PNG mm -hmm. uh, in terms of in terms of scale. But PNG would basically uh, see designers and businesses, but the, the the head of design at the time, Claudia Kachka, uh, she wasn't a trained designer, but she uh, was very savvy with design. She would basically say. Who, who will fund a designer in the business? I'll give you a designer. So we had different leaders that had different understanding of, of design. Mm. So my time in the coffee in the coffee business unit, uh, which they ultimately sold, was a complete disaster because I was just being uh, I was being asked at one point they they asked me, "Can you redesign the coffee lid?" And I just looked at them and I said, "Why? The, what's the what's what's the rationale? I said no. Can we can we think about sustainability? Can we think about compressive? Can we think about shipping? Can we can we look into a deeper business need? And they they generally just didn't appreciate those type of questions. Where if I changed to another brand uh, such as Febreze, we were doing all sorts of consumer insights research. So there was a certain maturity that that varied. I think depending on what business you got you got dropped in. Um, And, and for me, I think the, the takeaway for that or for any designer listening to, to this is to look at the leader that you're potentially interviewing and you're going to work with and understand what their level of design maturity is. What, what do they see design? Because if, if they understand it as a service, then you have a lot of influence you have to build to, to get them into design as a strategic driver. 
uh, of it. But if they see design as a, a bigger element uh, to growing a brand and growing a business, it's a huge opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not to say that if they see it as a service, you can't convince them and you can't work through it, but it's a different level of what type of journey you have to take uh, a business on. Um, and so when I compare and contrast from those days, um, it was it was just really, really frustrating at times because you, you had to educate so much of the organization and that didn't leave a lot of time for the design doing part of it. And, uh, you know, I think... Uh, it's it's always different depending on the leadership level um, understanding you have about about design as a driver. Mm-hmm. Yeah, got it. So when you were moving from your in-house roles um, to the consulting space, can you share that experience a little bit, the transition? You know, as you may know, a lot of people do actually the opposite. They do consulting first and then go to in-house, you know. But, you know, how was it for you to, you know, see design from the other side and, you know, how do you compare both experiences? I think it was really interesting for me. Um I think the the biggest uh, the biggest observation I had, and I'll just compare the consultancy side because the lunatic is a very special uh, operation where it's lunatic was more like was more like a corporate environment because I yeah. I was almost doing yeah. everything mm-hmm. um, a- across the board. But on the consultant on the consulting side, I mean, I think Scott has a very good reputation, and a lot of people want his mojo. Uh, for lack of better terms. So the phone would always ring with interesting opportunities and we had to pick and choose the, the right projects. Um, I think the biggest difference for me was um, coming with all this corporate background where I could shape and frame the brief. A lot of times with clients, you were kind of told what you needed to to, to do and then there was a cutoff period where you had to hand them off the, the work. Mm-hmm. And I, I'll give you one example. We did a, a project for... Uh, was Rubbermaid, but it was one of their brands, and we did a bunch of designs. And they were they were, I mean, they were absolutely beautiful. And I think I was working with Dustin Brown on this project. Mm-hmm. He and I were doing water water bottles, and we we did all this beautiful work. We just handed it off, and we never heard anything from the client. And a year later, I'm walking through the store, and I see these bottles on the shelf, and they're almost like what we gave mm-hmm. them, but but just not. Not quite good enough, and I think I just looked, and I was I was with my I was with my daughter, and she's like, "What?" And I said, "Damn, they really screwed those up." Yeah. And 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 I think that sums up the work of of corporate, uh, sorry, of consulting for me is because what I like about the corporate is I don't want these products. I want to follow them from from the start all the way through the finish, literally obsessive across the the way. And that's what I like about the the uh, uh, the corporate world. On on the other side, the positive of consulting is you're freshly you're getting all this uh, new work. It's mm-hmm. like Constant it's learning. coming at a much higher yeah. So it's coming at a much much faster pace. But I I think for me the frustrating part was the small segments and then the the handover and just hoping that the product it gets gets executed. Um, in some cases in consulting, you get that. You get to follow the whole project through. But more and more, um, I think in-house teams are supplementing their strengths with outside uh, outside agencies and just trying to get some fresh perspective. You know, the work we did at Minimal with Logitech was often like that. Mm. Now, they're a good example of they always executed what we gave them. So there are clients that do execute 100%. 
um, based on the design delivery, but there are also some that just misinterpret or maybe they, they put their hands a little bit on it yeah. in, the, in the process. Yeah, the Logitech projects, uh, did you work on them as well? They were quite quite amazing from a design point of view. Yeah, yeah we did. Um, I, did a, I did a lot of the... Um, uh, I, I did some other client work, but I was, I was there during the, the Logitech. Um, mm-hmm. Brecken, Brecken Darrell, the CEO of Logitech, was my boss in Whirlpool, Italy. So he was, uh, he was involved a lot. He, you know, he came several times to the minimal studio. Uh, but at the time I was working on, on minimal, but I always, uh, kind of stuck my head in on, on the Logitech projects, uh, as well, but, uh, I never led them personally. Yeah. Really, really iconic, uh, product. Um, yeah. uh, how big was the minimal team when you were there? I think it was not during the, the early days, right? I think Chris Brown was one of the, the first employees. Uh, this when you were there was shortly afterwards, right? Yeah, the uh, I was part of the original design studio, so we, we were before he moved into the to the uh, um, the larger office. Yeah. Um, so I was there when we were about six people on the minimal side, mm-hmm. and then at the time there was there were maybe three or four on the lunatic side. Mm-hmm. So it was was a smaller group and then we moved into about a year into my where we moved into the bigger studio and started hiring some of the designers so i was i was there when uh, ish ish adams mm-hmm. and jillian uh, tackerberry Tech, i i hired jillian mm-hmm. uh, as a as a designer and uh, i know she's kicking kicking some some real ass there and uh, doing well Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, yeah so we i experienced a lot of growth in minimal but it was slow scott was smart he was he was he was slowly investing in the team. I think in terms of not getting too big as a as an agency. Yeah, looking for the right talents and the, the right culture yeah. as well, right? Yeah. Uh, maybe you can share a little bit about um, your work now at, at Grow. What are some of the things you work on? Uh, some of the things you you're really looking forward. Yeah. So I, I'm literally four years on this journey. So uh, I I, uh, I just crossed the, the four year mark and. Um, the biggest thing that uh, keeps me, I, I think, I come into this 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 studio, and we have. Um, I feel very lucky, by the way. We have a beautiful studio. I, I would welcome you to come and come and visit. Uh, we're in a Richard Meyer building. It's a very very nice, uh, well designed uh, building. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a private studio, so it's locked, um, and most of the business can't enter. So it feels like uh, a corporate uh, consulting environment. It's mm-hmm. very very open. And when I came in, I, I interviewed and I looked uh, at the people uh, and, I, and I asked the question, I was like, do, you let the, do they have to like raise their hand to go to the bathroom? Uh, because they, they just seemed like robots at desks. I didn't see what I was used to with this like yeah. uh, interaction and dynamic yeah. uh, collaboration. So... So one of the things I wanted to do was build a culture that I wanted to come to work every day with. And I've really tried to build on the, the cultural aspect of uh, the design. So we're 20 designers. Mm-hmm. Um, we have locations, uh, three different places. So we have a, a design studio in Shanghai. We have a des- design studio in uh, Manhattan and then also one here where the headquarters is. So we share space with the, uh, some other brands in, in New York as well as uh, Shanghai, mm-hmm. um, but uh, it's uh, 
and this is done to, to be kind of an international uh, footprint. So out of the 20 designers, I think we have 12 different nationalities on the, the team um, and a huge range of diversity between sex and also years of experience. Mm -hmm. So I've really, be, I've really built up a team that it, uh, is based on diversity and, and uh, um, a, a one goal mindset. This is super important to me in today's day and age. Um, what what I've been focused on. So one of the first projects that that we that we executed um, has been really transformational for the company. So I think you can look at our industry and think about faucets and, and showers. This is the most obvious thing that people mm -hmm. people draw. But we we developed a, a product um, uh, exactly. We started about four four years ago. So it was the first project I really worked on, uh, and it was a connected IoT device. Mm -hmm. um, and it is a, it's still the most awarded product that we've ever, uh, that we've ever designed. So I think now it's up to 26 design awards, mm -hmm. uh, since we launched it. It's a huge, it's gotten, I think, uh, a gold at IF, a best of the best at Red Dot. I mean, it's just like any award that, that enters. We, we got a innovation award from IDSA, Core, like you name any, any award it's, it's picked up. Um. Basically, we were the first connected um, leak, leakage prevention, so water security mm -hmm. is what we called it. But more importantly, this device is also about water management because we, we thought there's some kind of statistic of around 6 in 10 people know somebody or they themselves have experienced water damage in their home. And when we found that 6 in 10 of, all, of everyone you know has experienced water damage, we said, okay, what what do we have to do to solve this problem? So we developed a sensor that could be placed anywhere in the home. Mm -hmm. It's Wi-Fi connected. Basically, it monitors humidity, it monitors uh, room temperature, and it also alerts you if there's a water leakage anywhere in the house, and it will send a, a notification to your phone. That's that's good, but it's sort of like a fire alarm. It just tells you you got a big problem, mm -hmm. but it doesn't stop the, the fire. Then we developed another system that had a... Uh, a lot of um, intelligence built into the valve technology that would essentially test the pressure. It would once a day connect with your uh, the data cloud. It could tell you how much water you're using. It could tell you if you had a micro leakage. And then if one of these sensors went off, uh, it would already probably know ahead of time that you have a leak, or it would automatically shut off. Mm -hmm. It's got that much intelligence. So we launched, we launched this product exactly two years ago, and we're on now some second generations behind it. But what's been so transformational about this product is um, it's created a whole new category for us because yeah. really what's, it's, not, it's, not about, it's not about the product anymore. It's, it's really opened up a space for us to innovate that is now working with a completely different customer. So... We just installed 16,000 of these units in one country, or we're in the process of installing it, I should say, uh, with an insurance company sponsoring this. Mm -hmm. So what we thought was an end-user problem was actually a bigger problem for insurance companies mm -hmm. because if, if six of those 10 people experience water damage, what do you think the problem is for the insurance company? It's pain for this water damage. Mm -hmm. So what we found is we, we, we thought we were solving a consumer problem, but we were actually creating a device to, for insurance technology. So we're now starting to build a whole ecosystem 
and we've got uh, we've got some collaborative agreements with some, some insurance companies now and this is how this this device is starting to take off so the the lesson the lesson learned here as a designer is like i put my heart and soul into getting the best iconic design for this product but the reality is what probably you don't see when this thing is winning the design awards is how much we've done to look at the infrastructure to make this product successful what the business model looks like and we had to adapt and we had to to pivot because when when we designed this product for the problem of water leakage we realized we were talking to the wrong people Mm -hmm. the plumbers the plumbers who were being called by consumers didn't want to even deal with this product it was it wasn't until the insurance company said wait this product can stop that from happening we lose a ton of money this will make us profitable and it was a completely different conversation then because then the 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 insurance company is like i'll deal with the plumber we'll get this installed professionally and then we won't have this problem ever again so so for me this is uh this is a great example of design as strategy Uh Uh, i could have easy i could have easily come in and started designing new looking different style segmentation faucets that's stuff we do on a daily basis but I think we we dug deeper into innovation mm-hmm. uh, as a as a driver, and design's a big part of that. Yeah, yeah. I think this project maybe then also require quite a bit of a different uh, design skill set and two design disciplines, right? We when I came in, we had uh, we had one industrial designer who had been with the company twenty years who was designing uh, an app, and I would say the app looked like physical buttons that had been converted into digital buttons. Mm-hmm. And I just looked at this and I said, oh my God, uh, we have nobody that has any digital capabilities. We have nobody that had any kind of hardware to software interaction experience. And I literally had to, to reset. Now we have three uh, digital designers, as, as I call them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can call them whatever you want, but U, UI, UX, mm-hmm. uh, doesn't really doesn't really matter to me. but. People that are looking at the the, the total experience of, of connected. Um, so this skill set is something I had to introduce to, to Gorilla. And it's something that I experienced at Minimal. We had digital designers as part of the, the process. And it was often offered as a package depending on the, the product. And I had to build that, that capability here uh, in the team. And it was quite hard. It's like, how do you, how do you get a... a you know, an amazing UX UI designer to come to a plumbing company. Um, so what we did is uh, I used Behance mm-hmm. and I just drew like a, a radius. I'm like, okay, I'm sitting in Dusseldorf and I just started like scrounging portfolios and I literally cold called and I said, I want to talk to you. Come, come in and, uh, and sit down. And we, we found a, a digital designer by just being proactive. We didn't do a job posting. We just said, come and work with us. And we started as a contractor, and now he's here every day. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, it's it's uh, the work became so so interesting. So um, I think it's super competitive world for for designers these days, and uh, we had to be pretty aggressive with with this recruitment. And uh, I had to get him behind the vision behind it because if if you just put a job posting, it doesn't doesn't come off the the same way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, could you share a bit more about you know adding new design disciplines you know as well as capabilities you know and growing the design team? Um, in previous conversation, we talked a bit you know about you know adding service design, UX/UI design, 
you know, and then maybe also, you know, how did you change the understanding internally of what a design team can do for the company? Yeah, I, I, um, one of the, one of the key lines that I've used with, uh, with our CEO, um, uh, when I started is I, I said, I kept saying to him, I said, I want design to go beyond product. And I, I really think for the first two years, he didn't hear what I was saying, or maybe not, maybe that's not the right way to put it. Mm -hmm. He didn't understand, he didn't understand what I meant by that. Mm -hmm. And when I came into this organization, um, they are wicked good at developing form, developing geometry. You know, I've, I've got guys that can do surfacing like the automotive industry, mm -hmm. right? In terms of the, the old school design mentality. And, but I wasn't seeing the, the evolution of the skill sets. I was just seeing hey, great renders, great models, whatnot. So I started to build a, a capability wheel of what I wanted to add. And I kind of showed it as a, as, a, as a circle and said, we're doing product design, but we're not involved in any brand experiences. We're not involved in digital experience. We're not involved in creative direction of brand content uh, and so forth. So when I started using this visual to communicate with my, my boss, it, was, it wasn't until then he started to say, ah, I get it because you're only playing with this part of the, the pie and you want a bigger, bigger piece. And I said, yeah, I said, because this, this industrial designer can't do digital design. He doesn't have the, the skill sets uh, on this. And uh, this designer doesn't know how to translate customer service complaints into an opportunity. This is the role of a service designer. Uh, this, this is a role of an interior architect who can translate... Uh, a brief with a hospitality designer who's trying to specify a hotel and he need, she, you know, he or she needs a package of solutions for public spaces, private spaces, hotel rooms. They need, they need to think about the total user experience in a, in a hospitality environment. And so we, we are starting to now design, um, I've got a couple of projects in the works where we're collaborating with, uh, uh, a hotel where, They've approached us and said, here's generally the room. What would you guys do with the, the bathroom? Whereas before, basically our interaction would, wouldn't even happen because they would go to a salesperson. A salesperson would just throw an, uh, a, a, a catalog on a desk and be like, pick one. <laughs> uh, what, what, what do you like? And right now I'm collaborating with architects. I'm working with, uh, we did a, a project with 3D printing, uh, Uh, I went up on a, a visit to these architects uh, in Norway called Snowetta. And uh, I, I, you've probably seen this building that they've designed called Under, this uh, Under restaurant. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's got a huge amount of publicity. And we, we said we would do something special for them. So we're, we developed uh, 3D printed faucets that don't exist anywhere in our portfolio specifically for this restaurant. So... The evolution of design went from product to total brand experience uh, here. And I, I want to go further. I want to get into VR. I want to get into web, web design. I mean, I, like there's so many touch points on a brand now that design is not a function. It's a mindset. Mm. And this is what I tell is even though we have a design team, everybody in the company should think like a designer. There's something you can improve every time you interact with a customer or a consumer. 
uh, everywhere from picking up the phone to wait times to to how a package is delivered, how it's unboxed. Like this is this is the mindset that that design skills can help influence in a company. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think this topic you just mentioned is super interesting. You know how to increase the footprint of design within a. A company, especially if it's traditionally ha hasn't been the case, right? So I wonder a little bit how you do the communication and the justification for that. I mean, is it about talking about harmonizing the customer experience on like multiple touch points, or how do you approach these conversations? Yeah. The the most important part of it is um, getting a seat at the table. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm very fortunate because I've experienced across different companies where design is sitting. Um, because sometimes I sit in these strategic meetings, they can be the most boring meetings you could imagine. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I'm, and I'm thankful that 99% of my team never has to, to do what I have to do by sitting in these meetings. But that one bit of information that says, I, I put in my ear because I get the business context and I can apply that insight to the design team. So I take this little kernel and I bring it back and we show what, what we can do to fix that problem. So getting a seat at the table is not just about getting recognized for your design talent. It's about the ability to listen to a problem the business has, use your training as a designer, propose a solution. I always tell everybody in this team Uh, that our secret power as designers is we can visualize the future before we commit to going there. I don't believe the future happens. I believe you move towards the future you want to create. Mm. And, and, and I think that's why it's so important that when I participate in some of these leadership meetings, I'm listening to the challenges the organization has. And, and just to give you a, a, just a tangible example, I, I see that our projects business is is dropping slightly, you know, and, and uh, this this could be just a you know a small dip where maybe they're not converting projects with architects uh, getting on, but by being in that room, hearing the challenges, I can pick up the phone and say, "Can you show me the presentation you're giving to architects?" And just by asking that question, I get I get a file. I'm like, well okay, it's really obvious this isn't appealing to the sensibilities of an architect. You're talking to him like a, the average consumer, like, how do we do this? And then I'll go on a field trip and I'll, I'll sit with the architects and suddenly I'm using design stories to help the sales team convert products. So it's, it's about having a seat at the table and really understanding how you can help other colleagues with your, with your design expertise. It's very difficult to earn that right to sit at the table. Mm -hmm. It's very, very difficult. But this is the importance of a design leader, I think, is to, to connect the dots. Um, your job is described very simply. I connect the dots to a business problem and I use the wicked horsepower of creativity in the design team to help solve that problem. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really, really fundamentally simple. It's a lot harder to execute and it requires tireless energy because there's times when I can hear something and I'm like, okay, if I just ignore that, I don't have to start another project and create another uh, uh, set of problems in the design studio. You know, it, I could just go to design as traditional business and just focus on that. But I think I have to be a little bit of a pain in the ass with the organization to push it to the next level. Mm. So it, it is about being obsessive about 
trying a lot of things to to move the the needle yeah so what i hear here is that you know it's a lot about proactivity as well and being self-driven about you know enlarging the the footprint um, of design and you're saying you're hearing something right you can either do something about it or 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 not right and uh, if you if you choose to be proactive uh, you get design involved into new discussions right? i think this is sebastian this is a great word proactivity is uh, is one thing but it's also it's also about being proactive from an insight, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's the role. Designers can can listen to a lot. And that's part of what we should do more is is just listen, listen, and then act on that that insight proactively. Yeah. Uh, and I and I think that's the that's the role that I uh, uh, I play a little bit with the the, the company. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, I I enjoy this. Uh, I waited a long time to step into a leadership role. Um, I had a lot of opportunities. I always held back a little bit because. I wanted to be a little bit more hands-on uh, with with the design process, but now I really enjoy the uh, uh, more more like playing the, the role of coach, you know, on the sidelines. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I, I really want to kick. I really want to <laughs> kick the ball uh, badly, but I realize that's not my job. Mm -hmm. uh, I have I have to let them do that. Mm -hmm. And then when you succeed with these involvements in these these problems, I think then it's easier for you also to communicate uh, the impact of design, having design involved, right? I assume like also the projects you were mentioning earlier, I think it's hard maybe when you were just, you know, getting in, uh, it was much harder for you to communicate that compared to now where you did these projects, where you were involved in yeah. these problems. Um, now you have a little bit of a, let's call it portfolio to communicate the impact of design. Right? Yeah, good observation. Um You know, I think uh, I strategically kind of planned out my approach with Groa. So for one year, the first year that I was here, um, I put myself in what I call the heads down mode. Mm -hmm. um, I really focused on the team here. So I didn't really come out uh, of the design office. I mean, I was still I was still connecting in these. I was still in these big meetings listening. But I didn't have anything that I could say, well, we did this before. So we do this. So I was I was trying to weaponize the team a little bit. Mm -hmm. I was trying to build the the capabilities, the strengths, find out which designers had what capabilities. So I I I'm really grateful that my leadership because I said, guys, in one year's time, I'll be able to show you some results. But you need to give me one development cycle to to really work with this team to put the pressure to see to see. And I had a lot of I had a lot of like challenges with the. Uh, some of the designers because I was sort of coming in behind a very strong leader, but I was turning a lot of things upside down. So mm -hmm. I was changing, I was changing a lot uh, of things. And I did, I did crazy things like one day they left the office and then I had IT come in and I moved all their desks just because I wanted them to have a different view on the design studio. And I, you know, and it was just to get them out of the the patterns of, mm -hmm. of what, but that one, that one year I was just testing their personalities. I was trying to understand what I needed yeah. to bring to the table to get them to, to work. But after the results started coming, then the influence uh, really took off. Uh, and I think uh, now the challenge is not to get too comfortable mm -hmm. for me. I have to, I have to, kind of start like it's day one mm. every day mm -hmm. i think that's a that's a challenge yeah how do you ensure that how do you well i think the uh the the, the thing that i like to to do with that is um 
I don't, uh, I don't use what I call the heavy hand of design leadership. Like I don't tell people what I, what I want to see, mm-hmm. um, and, and kind of hold their hand as they're, they're sketching. Um, but I, I do a lot of, um, how would I describe this? Um, I sit with them literally side by side working through their projects. And what that does is that gets me re-energized. Um, and I, it just brings me into, to their world. But sometimes, uh, we will start a new project in the middle of one of the projects they're, they're working on because it just leads to more questions. So, and I use that, that diving into this project to, to put another project in my back pocket so that a month later I can bring something new in front of leadership and said, what if we did this? So I have to involve myself pretty deep in the process to keep the portfolio fresh. Um, so I value one-on-one time with the designers. I value small group interactions. Mm -hmm. We just did a, we just, we just did like a 10 person brainstorm session and I act like I'm one of them in these sessions. I don't come in as the leader listening and trying to judge and vote. We, we just keep it neutral. And I think these are the things that I have to do to, to keep myself uh, fresh. Yeah. What was also really interesting, how you were talking about building a culture. Maybe you can share a little bit about, you, know, you were saying you were moving desks and everyone beginning was sitting there a little bit like a robot. Can you share a little bit about, more about like changing a design culture or building a design culture? Yeah, I think um, the culture of which you work is so important to, to being happy as a personal designer. I mean, uh, I, I've experienced uh, uh, a lot of different design environments and... Basically, I mean, when you come into a company like Roa and, and you're, you are the leader of the, the company, you are in charge of ultimately the culture. And uh, um, I just felt like they had been trained for 10 years by uh, a previous leader that they sort of expected everything to just be, be the same. Mm. And I had to, to come in there and say, I'm not him. I value everything you guys have done in the past. But this means it's a chance for all of us to reset what we what we want. So I, I, I did a lot of one on ones, and I said, you know what? Uh, and I still do this to today uh, with with all of my team members. I always ask them, what are three things I can do to improve our relationship? So I give them a chance to say, what is it? What are three things that I personally can do for you uh, mm-hmm. to, to help you during the course of this, uh, this, this year. And I went through and I asked a lot of them what they wanted, you know, and it was like, it was funny. It's like sometimes free coffee or, uh, you know, it just really silly stuff. I'm like, Oh, that's easy. Like, we can change all that. But what I realized was none of them said, well, I want to collaborate with, uh, this designer on this project. They had been doing a lot of individual work. Yeah. So I started, I started to, to pair up designers on projects and it created two, two interesting observations for me. First of all, it forced them to talk for the first time. <laughs> it, it, I was like, I finally, I was sitting in my office and I'm like, yes, they, they're communicating. They're like actually talking to each other. Yeah. And then, you know, th- then when they saw that they could do this, uh, it must be something in the German culture. Cause I was like, it was like a <laughs> library in here. Um, but then it got a little bit competitive too. Uh, and I even, I love more of that, that part of it. So we had this talking and we had this competition and, uh, and what I realized is that I could pair different strengths of designers 
and the projects got so much better. Mm-hmm. So we were we went we went from individual projects to what I would call paired projects mm-hmm. to now to now we we're handing off projects at different phases. And and I and I love this 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 fact because now somebody's saying, "Well, my expertise is on this. I can help so and so with this project and then pop out of it." Uh, and it's and it's great. I've got one guy that just loves to do surfacing nuances. You know, he comes from uh, from Volkswagen as a as an automotive surfacer. And if there's one designer that's struggling with the surface detail, I already see he's like he's like climbing over the desk to to yeah. to work on it. So I I just haven't boxed him into individual aspects and uh it it just required me to play a little bit of the conductor mm-hmm. to to kind of push and pull different strengths of the the orchestra yeah uh, at times super interesting yeah breaking up a little bit the walls of you no know, product categories and look, looking more at the individual needs you were just mentioning yeah. uh, conductor maybe as the last topic touching a little bit on uh, design leadership and Uh, what is your take on the difference between you know, a great designer and a, a leader? Yeah, I I think this is the beauty of our profession. Um, it, you know, there there are designers that I think can can never see themselves in a management position, mm-hmm. and I think this is completely fine. I really, really believe the design world is diverse now in the skill sets that are required. That not every designer needs to step into a management of being responsible for the creativity of people um, and leading leading projects. I believe there's enough space to fine-tune your craft. If you believe as a designer that you are better pushing pixels and creating amazing UIs and you you know animations and apps and all this stuff, focus on that. There's a huge role. But That doesn't come with just doing, staying in narrow focus. You have to stay up to speed on the on the tools and the methods and the process, and you need to understand the the, 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 the relationship. Uh, but there's no reason you cannot be a specialist um, in in this field. At the same time, if you see yourself uh, moving into leadership roles, my only advice would be to hesitate. And make sure you have enough diversity in your skill sets before you jump into leadership. Um, I felt an immense pressure to step in from basically never managing people to leading a team of 20. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a huge, huge step of, of, of this. And, and now I don't stress out about it at all. But it was a, it was a big journey to, to really say, I'm not going to manage people at all to to managing uh, a team in a huge design budget and uh, roadmaps and projects. So I, I just think it's up to the individual to decide when they want to make a transition, if they want to make a transition uh, to this. But I believe you can be a leader or you can be a, a specialist. There's enough flexibility in a design career to, to, uh, to meet the needs of, of your personality uh, from there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's the last question. What do you think is the, the number one uh, skill a design leader should have? Good ears. Good ears. Yeah. I, uh, I think a lot of leaders um, believe they should tell people what to do. But I think leadership is about listening. It's about listening, listening deeply, and then making a, a response. Um, 
And this is not just uh, for me, but this is just from past experiences. Uh, I wish sometimes my leaders, my leadership in the past would have listened more because I had some of the answers. Mm. Uh, and uh, I think uh, it's a lesson that I take uh, very seriously. And, uh, you know, I think it's, uh, as designers, we say empathy a lot. Mm -hmm. I think it's an overused term, mm -hmm. um, it, you know, but I think listening is, is, a, is a leadership trait that, uh, that cuts across not just designers, but every leader. Mm -hmm. yeah, great. Thank you so much, Michael. My, my pleasure, Sebastian. Yeah, no, no, it's good. Uh, it's good to, to have this conversation. Yeah, amazing perspectives, I think, on design leadership and yeah, your journey and all the learnings. So thank you so much. That was the episode. If you want to give us feedback on the podcast, have something to contribute to the next episode, or just want to get in touch, feel free to connect with us either on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram messages, or simply via the designdrives.org website.